When I was a young man, I, I went for a walk and got lost. God, I got lost. It was my 21st birthday. And I, I wanted to, as one does on birthdays, seemed like a significant birthday. I wanted to reflect on life, how it was going, what, where I was. I hadn't lived in this town very long, Oxford, England. So any direction seemed as good as another. There's old buildings wherever you go. So I headed off in one direction, and I found myself on a huge meadow. Uh, I later learned it was called Port Meadow. And there's a little river that runs through it and a path that walks, goes right along the river. So beautiful. There were horses. There were cows. I like cows. Uh, swans on the river. So I just kept going. I walked on this all to the end of Port Meadow. It's several miles. And then I decided I should, I should probably head back, get back for dinner at the college. But I took an exit different than the one I had come onto the meadow. And I was pretty sure I'll take this little lane. I've got a decent sense of direction. Take this little lane, and I'll take the first right. And well, little lane led on to little lane, onto little lane, and then onto little country road. And as I, at some point I realized I don't know what direction is north. And I have no idea how I got here. And if you've been in that position, you, you get a little hot. <laughs> the heart starts to be sweaty. And you, you hasten. So I hastened onto other little lanes. And I had no idea where I was. And a few hours later, I found myself sitting in a little country pub, very, very tired having no idea where I was, and it was definitely not Oxford. Uh, this was in the days before cell phones. I couldn't just pull that out and have a look. So I asked for a map, and I discovered I was in a little village called Wolvercott that's five miles from Oxford. Not good. Uh, I did eventually make it back after a long walk in the dark because the sun set. Uh, and the next day, I bought a new pair of shoes. <laughs> Have you been lost? I trust we've all been lost in one way or another. It's a common experience for Christians. We find ourselves somewhere we never imagined we would be. In a situation we, we never thought, I, would, I, I could stumble into this. And then fear or frustration or anger takes hold, and that then leads us further afield. And before we, leave, we realize it, we are lost, utterly lost, with no, no concept of how to get back. I don't know how I got here, so how can I possibly get back to where I was? Not knowing how to get back to goodness and the love that we knew we had, the love that we knew, I knew God loved me, and I knew I loved him. How am I here? This happens to Christians because it is the general condition of human life. We are in human life. The lostness there 
It's a mentality. It's a, it's a state of mind that we fall back into because it was a state we were taken out of. It's familiar to us. We were once wandering in a forest. We were once lost in the dark, trying to find our way out, night coming on. And then the Lord Jesus came to show us the way through. And he came and he walked with us and he showed us. The opening of John's gospel describes this, his coming to us, his, his coming, the light of God coming to the darkness of the world. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives light to every man was coming into the world. So that description of Jesus, the light, and what he brought, it keeps echoing through the Gospel of John. Every time Jesus meets and he interacts with people, there are echoes of this major theme. The light and life has come, and he's bringing it, and he's pulling people out of that, that state. We're in chapter 3 of John. So if, if you're visiting, we've been walking through the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 3. And Jesus, the light of God, is speaking with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. We're dropped right in today into the midst of a conversation. We saw last week that Jesus has told this, this Pharisee, Nicodemus, he's a seeker of freedom. That the way through the darkness, the way into the glorious kingdom of God, is not by perfectly understanding and applying the law. This is what Nicodemus thought. If I can just understand and rightly apply the law, I will have freedom. But rather, Jesus had to told him, it's by rebirth into a new life, and that is a life that's being filled with God's Spirit. It's not by understanding and rightly applying. It's by becoming a new creation, being filled with God's Spirit. So the Jews, they were hoping to find freedom from self-enslavement. They recognized it, just as we do. They were looking to find freedom from self-enslavement and sin by submitting to the law. And Jesus answers, holiness and freedom and life don't come from you. They don't come from what you do. They don't even come from what you think. Holiness, freedom, and life come from God. They always have. It only can be that way. So last week we stopped after Nicodemus asked this follow-up question. Okay, how can that be? <laughs> how can these things be? He says, that, that's to say, how does this come about? How does it work? That's a good question. Jesus' initial answer is something like, you won't be able to understand it yet. Even you, Israel's teacher, the, the teacher of Israel, you don't understand this? You can't understand. You're not going to be able to understand if I tell you these things. And so we pick up in the middle of his answer at verse 13. His statement there, no one has ascended into heaven 
except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, Jesus there isn't talking about um, coming and going, ascending and descending. Uh, he's telling Nicodemus that he has access to the heavenlies. So what he shares comes from direct access, his, his understanding, even current, of the heavenlies. He's descended from heaven, but he always has access. So what he's sharing is from the heavenlies. And then, so Nicodemus, this is heavenly knowledge, but I'm going to build a bridge for you. And this is what he does. It's a bridge of understanding for someone who is deeply knowledgeable of the law, who has the Torah written in his mind. So how does the new birth in the Spirit happen? Jesus says, verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have this life, eternal life. Ancient uh, teachers generally agree Jesus' words end right here. Your Bible, if you have a Bible in red, with red, Jesus' words in red, it may continue on. The, the traditional understanding is that Jesus' words end right there, and then John picks up explaining what he means. John often does that in his gospel, and that's what I'm going to assume here. Nicodemus definitely knew the story. Jesus is helping him. He's not being obscure here. He really is giving Nicodemus an answer he can get a hold of. The serpent in the desert. It's during the Exodus. The Israelites have been wandering for over 30 years. They've been wandering. And all along, God's been teaching them. He's been training them to trust him. You, tr you can trust me with everything. With every single day, there were lessons. Specifically, life depends on the grace of God. Daily life depends on the grace of God. Simply eating, simply drinking depends on the grace of God. Gifts. So they've just defeated the king of Arad, a Canaanite people. This is in Numbers 21, if you want to glance. But they are discouraged. They often got discouraged. They went through these cycles of discouragement by the hardness of the way. Uh, they're in the Negev. This is a horrible, horrible dry desert. There's, the ground itself is sand, and where there isn't sand, there's sharp, piercing rock. And they complain, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness where there's no food or water? And we loathe this worthless bread. We loathe this bread from heaven. We loathe this bread that, remarkably, just a little of it sustains you completely. We hate it. We're sick of it. They weren't dying, in fact. That's the remarkable thing about this moment. They weren't dying. They were being sustained. They were being taken care of. Their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. But in order for them to see the difference, they claim that they're dying. The Lord gives them death. He sends poisonous snakes, serpents of fire, 
fiery serpent. That, um, that, that phrase probably means uh, serpents whose bites brought fire. Poison. God makes literal in this moment what was actually happening spiritually. They were bitten. They were poisoned. Snake bitten. And the poison has been working its way through them so that they complain of death. Well, now it actually does. They're bitten. The poison works its way through them, and they die. So then they cry out. They see it. Okay, oh, you're right. We, we weren't dying. Save us. They admit their sin, and Moses intercedes for them. So God provides a solution. He says, make a bronze representation of these snakes. Put it on a pole. And when anyone is bitten, when he looks at the snake, he shall live. And so it happened. This is a kind of sacrament. A sacrament is an outward, a visible sign of an invisible grace. God gives them a sacrament of salvation here. There's no power in the bronze serpent. Just like there's no inherent power in these signs. There's no inherent power in those bits of wood. There's signs of something invisible. God's grace towards us. They have that, this serpent in the wilderness. It has that, this, an effect, because God said so. Because God decreed it so. So if the people would just, if they would do what he said, they'll live. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Trust in God and you will live. That's his lesson to them. Trust in God and you will live. So that object lesson from the Hebrew scriptures, that's what Jesus, back to this conversation with Nicodemus, is what he's building on. The Israelites in the desert had to look at the serpent. So when they knew they were desperate, when they became suddenly aware, there's death working in me, they had to look. They had to look. There's something basic about this. This is, this is a lesson for children. When you become aware you're dying, look. Receiving the life and the grace of God has to do with where you look. That's, that's for us. It's so, so simple. And God tells them, I'll tell you where to look so that you receive mercy. And now Jesus says, Nicodemus, I, I believe you get that lesson. As the serpent was lifted up, and restored people to life, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Already he's been using that title of himself. So Nicodemus knows he's talking about himself. I must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So Nicodemus, you want to know how one receives new birth? In the Holy Spirit? 
you recognize that you're snake bit. You recognize that you're desperate, that you're poisoned, that you're dying. And you look to where Jesus is lifted up. The cross. And you trust that through him you receive grace. Through him, through believing in him, you receive life. The grace to live. You're dead. You're done for. But if you trust this work of God, he will put his own life in you. He'll breathe back in you. Now, it's here that John, the apostle, writing this some decades after uh, the resurrection of Jesus, makes connections for the reader. He echoes Jesus' words. He restates Jesus' words. And he says this memorable sentence, right? That it's among the first that kids will memorize. For God so loved the world that he gave through Jesus' own gift of willing sacrifice. God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He doesn't want to leave any doubt about this. Lifting up. This lifting up, like the bronze servant, was the cross. And if anyone would be saved... <clears throat> there's nowhere else to look. It's still looking. There's no philosophy, however wonderful, and there are many wonderful philosophies of life. There's no teaching. There's no good works. There's no combination of behaviors. No personal sacrifice, even for the good of others that can save you if you've been bitten by sin. And we have. We have to receive what was given. We don't get to make it up. We have to receive what God gave. The light himself came into the world in order to be the hope of healing. The word of God, the light of life, came into the world in order to be the way that we can be saved. So that anyone who believes him, in him, anyone, no matter how bitten, no matter how gone, no matter how far the poison has worked in their life, anyone who looks to him for mercy will find it. That's what he says. When we consider how miserable, how desperate, frightening, desolate it is to be in a state of lostness, it, it is remarkable and, and a wonder that so many people turn away from God and refuse his offer, refuse his willingness to remove the bitter chains, to break them free to break them from sin that binds them. We can imagine a person sitting in a prison of their own making, chained, chained to a wall of a cell that's dark and dank, black, dripping wet. And Jesus himself stands quietly by, 
and says, I've opened the door. Just, you can stand up. You can walk out. I've opened this door. And the condemned person thinks that they're hearing their own inner dialogue. So they answer themselves, no, I can't, I can't get, I can't get out. I can't. I can't go out of this. I'll never be free. Or maybe more commonly, this isn't a prison. This is fine. This isn't a prison. I like it here. But even if I wanted to get out, there are these chains. Even if I wanted out, I'm stuck. And again, Jesus says quietly there in the cell, if you'll look at me, if you'll look at me and keep looking at me, instead of looking at the chains, instead of fixating on the chains, if you look at me, you will find the chains are gone. But so many, so many just keep looking at the chains. It's a marvel. This is what the gospel says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, is in a state of condemnation because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment or the verdict. Same idea. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The hiding the hiding that's part of our nature. The verdict is, unless the Lord comes to a human heart and gives his own divine love, unless the Lord himself puts his love into a human heart, bringing something holy that wasn't there before, every person will love darkness rather than light. Because by nature, we don't want our rebellion to be known. We don't want our rejection of God and his ways, God and his rule. We don't want it to be known. So it's natural for us to recoil, to cringe, to hide when we think that our evil is going to be exposed. And in that dark place, it seems impossible, it seems unacceptable that the light of God would shine in. It, there's no way the light of God can get here. And even if the light of God could get here, I don't want it to get here because I don't want it to be known. Not only it would mean exposure, it would mean the destruction of a made-up sense of myself. This this. All this effort, all this work I put into crafting a self, I don't want that to be exposed for what it is. It would show my powerlessness. We don't want that to be known. If we're seen for what we are, if we're seen for what we've done, 
then we have to admit failure, defeat, inadequacy, all these things that especially Americans don't want to admit. It's human, but we, we seem to have honed this uh, myth of adequacy. And for, for most people in the world, for most people in the world who have heard what Jesus offers, it's pride that won't let them uh, just ask Jesus to set them free. It won't, it's pride that won't let them say, yeah, I'm chained. I need you. As I said at the beginning, this is the state where the Lord found us uh, who have believed in him. Any of us who've believed in him, we've been here. And at some point, it might have been in our very early youth, it might have been in our, when we're toddling around, and at some point we found my chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. We found it. Uh, many Christians who were raised in the church have no memory of the chains falling off. Don't fool yourself. You were chained. It's part of our nature. If we forget that, then we're at greater risk of ignoring that we can fall back into. Um, not a state of being chained, but we'll get to that in a moment. But if you, if you never knew when your chains fell off, uh, all the more wonder, all the more we should be grateful that being free now, we didn't, we didn't suffer the pains of conscious imprisonment. What a gift. If that's you, what a gift. But because this is the state of the flesh that we were born into, this is human nature. It is what all, every single one of us, we were born into this. And because personal darkness and imprisonment to the self is the way of the world around us, it, it's just what we move in, imprisonment to the self, it's easy for us to find ourselves lost, wandering back to the old haunts, wandering back to the old haunts. There's a memory of it that's formed in our bodies. It's, it's still in the body. It's in the mind, those old places. And even though it was enslavement, even though it was desperate, it was destroying us, and we knew it was destroying us, it was what we knew. And we developed ways of comforting ourselves in that state. That's the way of the world, finding comfort in the midst of enslavement. As the chains chafe and the misery pricks, finding comforts. And we have a memory of that. And in our weak moments, that may be pain, it may be stress, conflict in trial or fear, we find ourselves back in the old haunts examining the chains and maybe trying them on again. 
Do these still fit? So, what I want to say here is the gospel that set us free remains the gospel still. The gospel that frees a person from captivity to sin, the gospel that wakes a person from spiritual death and brings them to life is the gospel for Christians too. If we return from the prison, if we return to the prison, and check it out again. Jesus has come with us. He's there with us still. There's no escaping the Lord who has set his love on you. You can't, you can't escape him. He loves you. He goes with you. Oh, you going into the prison? Don't go to the prison. Don't go there. Okay, I'm with you. He's there standing just as he always was, saying what he always said. Here's the way I've opened. There it is. Here's the way. Let's walk together. Let's walk out of here. Just get up. Let's walk out. So when we start feeling lost, like I did wandering around Oxford and the pulse quickens, our impulse is to try to fix it, try to fix the problem, try to relieve our suffering somehow, try to comfort ourselves with old comforts, try to reassure ourselves, no, I'm actually not in a, I haven't come back here. I'm not where it looks like I am. Self, don't believe it. You're not where you think you are. Or we hasten in whatever direction, the direction that seems most natural, and that is a dangerous direction. Because often... Often, what we'll see most natural is that old pattern rooted deep in our flesh comes from our flesh and it leads us back to that dungeon. And the Lord tells us, just stop. Don't hasten. Don't be driven by fear. Don't let the stress drive you. Don't let the pain drive you. This is real suffering. Stop. And as the serpent was lifted up in the desert, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Stop and look. Don't look at the chains. That is so our tendency. If I just understand the chains enough, if I look at my addiction enough, if I fixate on my addiction enough, then I'll be free. Does that make any sense? Look to the one who breaks the chains. Look to the one who sets you free. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, cannot overcome it. And we can ask him what way to go. I don't know where I am. How do I get back? And his spirit has come to us and he will speak to us if we ask him. He's our light. He's our shepherd. He'll show us the way through the forest. He'll lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. 
Psalm 139, in conclusion, declares, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the pit, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, that means overwhelm. Surely this darkness will overwhelm me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Lord Jesus, King, light of the world, our Redeemer, our breaker of chains, our liberator, You give drink to the thirsty. You give food to the hungry. You set captives free. Lord, have we known you as that? We pray that you'd reveal yourself in us as the good God that you are, the one who sets free. Lord, would you give us a new pattern, a spiritual pattern, that when we find ourselves dying, caught and broken, we would would hear your voice say, look to me. Lord, speak it. We are dull to hear. We've come up with so many crafty, artful ways of avoiding you. Lord, enable us to hear your voice and to look at you, not our chains. In the name of Jesus, we ask.